midst of? Well, as you know, I was in St. Louis today. Yeah. And I met a thoracic guy. Uh, everything's going good. And I'm um, supposedly free and clear, but I got a couple of lymph nodes that are a little bit, they're watching. Watching. They're, they're not enlarged yet, but they're not what they call uh, outside margins or outside parameters. In other words, they're still within normal parameters. Mm-hmm. But when I get a CAT scan or a PET scan, they light up a little bit. <laughs> and that could be many things. Mm-hmm. But they can't rule out that it's not something that's metastasized. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I have to be watched like a hawk, which they're doing anyway. Uh-huh. And I've been on immunotherapy. Uh, that continues with many pauses because <laughs> although it's quite tolerable compared to chemo, Mm-hmm. which I'm actually available for. I could still get chemo if I needed it. Mm-hmm. Radiation, no. Um, immunotherapy is a series of 20 infusions. They often suspend it when I have a side effect. Mm-hmm. And lately is a grade two rash. And they've ha- <laughs> I've been on cortisone, that is prednisone, for five freaking weeks. How many grades of rash are there, Robbie? Dr. Well, that Robbie I can't Stokes. tell you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess and say four. <laughs> But, but it's, uh, it's way under control. I wish they'd free me from the cortisone, but they can't just stop it. Yeah. I have to wean down from 60 to 40 right? to 50 to 30 to yeah. 20 and then zero, I guess. So I've been wound up on that stuff because let me tell you something. Robbie Stokes don't get up at 630 in the morning and start working in his garage unless he's fried on prednisone. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's... Not good. Been, been snarky with my girl and everything. But uh, you don't, don't worry. Snarky. You would have never been snarky before, right, Robbie? <laughs> not that kind of snarky. <laughs> I'm sure it's not pleasant, man. Quick it, to anger. <laughs> Quick to anger. It's the uh, oh, it's the tough part of the our part of the medicine that you've. That you've had to learn, man. I mean, yeah. no, it's it's. Uh, Do you ever think you'd learn this much about medicine in your life? Are you pretty well? I, well, I already knew quite a bit because I've been through a couple of things. You know, I had a knee replacement once. That was interesting, and it works fabulous. <laughs> Still to this day, eleven years. Nice. Yeah, that's Barnes Jewish West County. I'm terrified of having to have a knee replacement. I've, I've got I've got terrible knees at the age that I'm at now. And I know by like 45, it's just gonna be like crunch, crunch. It's time for robotics. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. <laughs> you wake up and you go, Oh my gosh. I started crying because the pain relief was so intense. Yeah. And there were six women there in that room, physical therapy the next morning with me. One of them, my old lady, and every last one of us was crying. When I started crying from relief, uh, huh. Many tears were shed. <laughs> the girls were emotional. It was good. Was that uh, was that just from years of hauling gear? Uh, I was damaged in a ski accident. Oh, oh, just California, just like the BMWs. <laughs> hey, there's there's the there's the there's the fancy side to Robbie Stokes, the skiing and the well, we, and the fancy we, cars. No. Devil's Kitchen Band used to play at ski resorts. Uh huh. And like in Switzerland, where I played with Chicago Mike Beck. Way later, 2009, uh, free skiing was part of the deal. Mm-hmm. As was the fabulous cuisine, and uh, the pay was good. <laughs> the hours were good. Right. They treated us like kings. 
What the hell's the matter with the United States? That's what I say. <laughs> Treat us like they do. Yeah, where's where's my royal rock star treatment over here? <laughs> they love the music, man, but I get treated here pretty well, so <laughs> I'm just I'm just yeah, I spot to jump off to because I think this podcast is going to treat us well. Episode 71 of the WTF Carbondale Podcast, where we talk to interesting people about their interesting lives. We tie it all back to this little place we call home, Carbondale, Illinois. Somebody who I have been blessed to share this home with, Mr. Robbie Stokes. Thank you for for joining. And I, I love, love it. it. So so was Europe was Europe a whole leg later in the in the music career? Yeah, um, I was 59. When I went to Europe to play uh-huh. for three weeks, it was my much delayed college backpacking trip of Europe <laughs> with a guitar. Uh-huh. And uh, I owe Chicago Mike Beck, uh, SIU alum, for that one and hope to go back someday. It's good. I'm going to go on my own anyway because I haven't been to England yet. <laughs> Just kind of waiting for stuff to clear up. Yeah, yeah, a couple, couple more months probably wouldn't hurt. Yeah, I'm a little worried that the vaccines aren't getting out into the world the way they need to be, but we're trying at least, which is more than I can say for, you know, not so long ago. Yeah. Don't get me started, bro. I won't. I won't. All right. We're, we're here you don't want about, to. You don't this, want this to. Is all, this is all false. I'm, I'm, I may veer just a, just a smidge into politics, but I'll really right back in if I do, I promise. We'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about the early politics of rock and roll life. There you go. <laughs> well, it was pol- political. Yeah. You know, um. Once in Chicago, I slept under a table on the floor of a Black Panther house, and the police shot through the door. Yes. That's it. That's just the story. That's, that's the gist of it. No, no yeah. rightful I needed a place to crash. I was 18 or 19, wearing Army fatigues that I didn't earn. And uh, this dude was, he was upstairs in this tenement squat, plinking rats in the attic. And his old lady's like, hey, get down here. They sent some kid over to stay here. He's like, tell him to sleep under the kitchen table. So I didn't give a dang. I was tired, and it was winter in Chicago. <laughs> I'm sure my people were really upset, but that happened. I think I wrote about that in one of my Southern columns. Nice. I'm going to write one more so I have 50. That's good. But Gary Gabula, my good friend who is until the morning comes now, um, and, and helps me with audio stuff. Good. Um, he writes the column now at my, at my urging, my request, and he's doing a very good job. It's what, uh, musical historicity. It's what we need. There, there is, there is a, it is essential to document this place in this time and the last 50 to 70 years of this place and what it has been and what it will be and all that jazz. That's one of the reasons I'm, trying to hang on so long (laughs) you know because who's going to help document all the stuff in music that i've seen in this area yeah incredible if i do say so myself but uh, that's what the columns are about you know um i could have been a contender uh i could have been a what i could have been a contender nate you know marlon brando i'm sorry what was it on the waterfront movie quotes well you're not old so, Shame on me. <laughs> you're, you're not old. But still, yet. classics, classics, right? I think it's on the waterfront. Somebody will correct me on Facebook. Don't worry. <laughs> that's that's what the internet's for, right? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I Google medical stuff every day, and 
a tra- my daughter's like, Dad, don't Google anything. <laughs> Just medical. Leave it to the doctors. My daughter, Carly Carmen, Clark Stokes, uh, is married now to Anthony Gladney. Just mustered out of the Air Force. She's been a, they're both great. And I love it. It's nice to have a son-in-law. Uh, I just love the kid. And they're doing really well. They're finally leaving Chicago after some years. And it's bittersweet. She's down here right now. And as I mentioned to you, I'm texting with her. Yeah. And they are at Hunan. So, <laughs> which I find funny after the story you told, but we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, uh, the, uh, yeah, just situationalism. I, I'll tell the... <laughs> I used to drive for Nukahala, different Chinese food. And at one point in time, while driving uh, on a snowy evening, uh, Robbie's daughter was parked uh, over in a near parking area to, to where I to where I worked and, and drove out of. And I came fishtailing out of a parking lot, just having some extra fun, and got yelled at for being just a little, <laughs> probably way too close to Carly's <laughs> car. I can just hear her. What the are you doing? She inherited, she inherited her, her mom. Yet, yeah, her mom uh, will let you know if you're non-plusing her. <laughs> if you're getting up her snoot, she'll let you know about it right quick. Uh, you don't uh, you don't necessarily have a bad daughter-in-law either. <laughs> How about it? I uh, you I, know Katie, not, don't you? Do what? You know Katie, don't well, you? Well, I just you know, grow, growing up in the mix of of all the kids, right? I was I was a year, I was in that year right between Robbie yeah. and, and Carly. How old are you, Nathan? Years, so I was. I would have graduated high school in 2007, and Robbie would have been 2006, right? Um, seven, wasn't it? They I got mean, married right after he graduated. They graduated in 2007. Seven seven oh seven was their marriage day. Nice. So I think he graduated in 07. He's 33. So how old are you? 34. I'm 31. 31. But going on 30, like I'm, I'm a close 32 right now. So okay. Well, yeah. We're in so the ballpark. You, you're right in there. The um, so where are we going with this now? Uh, we oh were, no, I just I, I stopped. By, he was he was giving away a, a a countertop and some other like some hanging lights from the from the house they just got. It was just, it was just a beautiful homestead, man. It was a real scenic kind of place to. Are you talking about Robbie's and Katie's new home? Do what? Are you talking about their new home? Yeah, in McCanda. Yes. Okay. Sorry, I mean. I- <laughs> well, I wasn't sure if you meant. The one they had on Teakwood up until very recently. No, no. Uh, over in Energy. The one the one that they just that they just rolled into. Let's get to the rock and roll drugs and sex. All right. All I know right, they're fine, waiting. Fine, fine. None, none of this boring families. I know they're waiting, Nathan. The um no, all right. Well b- before before we get there, your dad was an educator, right? No. No. Not exactly. Okay, not exactly. My father was SIU staff. Staff. All he right. was university photographer for a very long time. And especially during the heyday of SIU's growth during the Morris years. Uh, he did a lot of aerial photography, and I have the photos to prove it. Uh, he took me on those jaunts. And that and my grandfather being a flyer of biplanes, uh, I've inherited a strong aviation interest. Um, I probably know more about flying than anybody you know that actually doesn't have a license. <laughs> you know, because I've got 33 hours, but it, I just got hung up with family and working and I, I never finished and honestly i know how many things can go wrong yeah and i don't know um i think i'd be a good measured pilot but i might still do it <laughs> i might you always, still you, go, you always get the kind of the in-between get your drone pilot's license that's still a pilot's license yeah i could, I could get a, a, a 
light aircraft license. Listen, if you, if you, I mean, man, the charter. There's a, there's a license level below private pilot. Is there? For very small, lightweight aircraft, but they're still actually airplanes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a good friend of mine flies one of those, like, motor gliders. Ain't going there. I need more air. I need fuselage around my ass. (laughs) No no open air (laughs) ordeal. It's just like, uh. All of us used to say at the airport, um, who would want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? <laughs> and then they go skydiving. What uh, was, is the, is the, is the glider guy Aaron or is it somebody different? There's a, there's, I just happened uh, to have friended somebody on Facebook the other day is that's the glider guy that's been Aaron, around town. Aaron who? Huh? Did you say Aaron? It, like A-A-R-O-N, I think. What Aaron? Who, who Aaron? Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm saying like no. this guy that flies this glider around. Not that guy. It's John Cotter. John Cotter, okay. Former um, administrator at SIU Aviation. Fair. And mechanic. He's an A&P guy. And he owns a Grumman Yankee, and he, and he let me fly it back from Cape once. Under his tutelage, of course. <laughs> which simply meant that we set it towards Carbondale, uh-huh. and every now and then I'd tap the rudder or look at the yoke, because that aircraft is trimmed to perfection. <laughs> that was a fun day. Thank you for that, Cotter. What are what are those? How long have those fly-ins been going on for at the airport that they that they do that have? Well, just we don't do as many as we used to. I used to do sound there for air shows. Uh-huh. Which back to my father, he was a tail gunner in a B seventeen. I also wrote about that in the Southern, and he's been written up in the Eighth Air Force uh, newsletter. Uh, he got in the war late due to his age, young, mm-hmm. but did several milk runs toward the end. I don't think they ever saw combat. I used to fantasize that he did. <laughs> and But I was uh, actually corrected by an 8th Air Force historian, a retired journalist up north. She uh, really did hard work and got to the bottom of all of that and helped us un- better understand what my dad went through. But one day I was doing sound at Carbondale Airport for an air show, and they had the Probably the Confederate Air Force B-17 was stored there, mm-hmm. parked on the tarmac. And my father was up under the wing route looking up at that thing. And I saw him tear up. And I walked over from the mixer. It was, I was just playing music during a break. Yeah. And I walked over, hey, Dad. He mutters, I lost a lot of friends in these God things. About the only time I ever saw him cry. Pretty tough. Real stuff, man. But he was university photographer. So many of the black and white aerial shots in the 60s and 70s were my dad taking off from Carbondale Airport with a university pilot in a Piper Cub with the doors off and me belted with a lap belt in the back in my cowboy outfit. 30-degree <laughs> bank angle cir- circling over the horticulture pond. <laughs> <laughs> or the arena. Move on, my friend. No, man, I just, I'm relishing in it. It's a, it's a cool, it's cool stories, man. Like, yeah, I'm SIU maroon through and through, buddy. <laughs> I, mean, I never like, wanted to leave Carbondale. To me, Carbondale wasn't any different than Berkeley. And I lived in Berkeley. Yeah. I lived on LeConte Avenue in Berkeley, just off Shattuck. Played in Berkeley all the time. Fit in like a glove. <laughs> How much time did you spend out in California? Most of eight years. 18 to 26, came home just before I turned 27 and stayed this time, wisely. 
I appreciate you making the correct decision. <laughs> Some might say it wasn't, but yeah. they may be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> they may be right. <laughs> they may be, be crazy. crazy. <laughs> oh, man. The, uh, Here, I, w- I won't show the uh, label. Oh, no, yeah, right. Uh-oh, <laughs> busted again. The, um, we become naked. <laughs> I, your fruit juice better start paying me, man. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Drinking my blue machine. Ugh. Really tastes a little medicinal, to be honest. Like? Amen. Medicinal. Well, it's got blueberries. I don't know. Are blueberries? What's the, what's the drugs part of the rock and roll, man? What was that? I mean, you want you want to talk? I mean, you said drug, sex, rock and roll, right? I was kidding. <laughs> All right, fair enough. I'm so not talking about like? sex. Thank you. Do what? I said no drugs or sex, please. That's right. Hey, but rock and roll, yes. Rock and roll, yes. Very good. The um, ah. Uh, so you got you got to California. I mean, had you had music always been the thing too? Was I mean airplanes and guitars and? Yes, when I was twelve, going on thirteen, the Hoot Nanny craze started before the Beatles. Uh huh. And my parents were good enough to get me a nylon string guitar, and then a steel string guitar, and I was already playing when the Beatles hit in '64. Mm-hmm. In fact, I believe I was in a band prior to the Beatles hitting in '64. Mm-hmm hitting these shores the counts it's a little fuzzy and one of the singers been dead for ages john nearman good soul singer he was killed in a car accident um gary king on drums mark clover was in that band i think that was the satellites and then that became the counts and then the counts begat the viscounts (laughs) and that led to devil's kitchen and then things got interesting. The year I turned 18 and Carbondale went berserk, 67 and 68. Good berserk in many ways. And it just, did the energy just draw you out to California? Because you had Well, to- people were drifting out there like crazy from here. Yeah. You know, we knew teachers from there who would come here on, you know, on assignments. Carbondale, mm-hmm. um, SIU was just roiling with talent, man. Bucky Fuller. I used to mow Bucky's lawn. I didn't know you were going to. Here's the deal, Robbie. I love this because I've done four other interviews for Buckminster Fuller and the Dome Home. Sure. In since from 65, I had a couple other podcasts in the mix, but but since 65, I had four. And to hear you become the the fifth in the in the Bucky story sequence here on the podcast. I love it. The family home is a block and a half south of the dome. Yeah. Still. We still it's still in the family. Good. Even though my parents regrettably have left us in 2015 and 2016. Um Bucky, I told the story in the Southern. I know I'm gonna say that a lot. Yeah, that's fine. This is because I want is... people to archive those stories if they want, but I am putting him into the book with my former editor at the Southern's assistance. Good. That would be Ali Quick, who I just saw Good. at the Sunset Concert, as it were, at Hangar, <laughs> which is going great guns with Jenny and the Howdy Boys right now. Thank Obviously, I'm break- not thank mixing the show myself. Thank you for taking a moment to break away and do the podcast with me. I promise we'll get you back to that beer soon enough. <laughs> well, I'm probably not going to have any more of that. 
Fair enough. It takes me three days to drink a beer. It tends to go flat. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, I was in Bucky's home one day after mowing. He paid me 50 cents. It ain't a big lawn. <laughs> and this was, I was 10 or 11, you know, right. whatever. 12 maybe. And uh, his wife made lemonade. And Bucky, I could still see his eyes swimming behind those glasses, you know, like magnified his eyes, you know. <laughs> and, and he comes out and he's got this little, it, it looked like what I, I would, within five or six years, know to be something like a hash pipe. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but what it was, was, quote unquote, this is an ancient Israeli oil lamp. It's 2,500 years old. And it was a little palm-held candle-like lamp thing. Mm-hmm. And Bucky was showing me this artifact. Price, priceless artifact yeah. that he got in one of his travels. So <laughs> what energy, man. I got a ride in the Dymaxion car when that guy was here from the museum in Nashville. Uh, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't tell you where, but yes. Well, the society, Bill and all those guys, they know all about that. That's how was that ride? <laughs> It's like the Oscar Wiener Mobile. <laughs> a lot of space. Yeah, I got to go with Robbie though, with my son. Good. And that was very good. Uh, we, they've given me three grandchildren now. They've given us three grand grandkids. And this weekend is not only Father's Day, but a major party for the little grandkids. Good. So I'm excited. The, the little one he ran up to me, and he, I can't even remember what he started. Yeah, I think he started talking about I'm the big brother, and this is my sister, and just like da 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 da, like he was on it, like he was there to tell you his story. Well, there's a third child, yes, a, another sister now, nearly a year old, Madeline, Madsy, she's so cute. <laughs> Thank the Lord I lived this long. I'll tell you what, though, when I hit 7-0, the crap hit the fan and quick. It just all chug, 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 yeah. chug, chug. Beware the Ides of March, saith. I'll be aware. Saith Willie the Snake. I can I can only keep my fingers crossed, but, but by, by the time I cross into my 50s, maybe, that Medicare will be now to open enrollment for 55 and older. Well, One it's holding dream. up real good these days, <laughs> but it ain't free, you know. No, no. I mean, you still got to. Neither is Medigap. I pay for that monthly as well. And Cigna Part D. You pay. But if I had enough, I'd be in deep poo-poo. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. When did you, have you, have you, so did you like come back and dump right into the sound business? Or no. Like- um. Not exactly, although, to be honest, Hangar opened in 78, uh-huh. and by then I started becoming, once again, the de facto technician, because okay. I kind of took to it early. So your, your question, but to answer, did I start Robco right away? No, it was mid-80s. Okay. Yeah. You were just the guy that serviced um, everything? I'm the guy that gave a crap about the audio enough to do the extra work at no fee. Good. And... Uh, but that eventually the no fee part went out the window. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> However, our band, the Venturis, we are trying a new version of things because I didn't want to have to mount a full Robco production every time the, the Venturis played. Right. So we started all bringing our own equipment, and it's kind of been a hodgepodge. It's been a work in progress. But 
um, I think I got it under control, and I'm looking forward to the next gig at Hangar, which, of course, is my PA, and I do house sound there. So we don't have to bring a PA there. Makes it a little bit easier moving. It's working right now, and it's doing good. (laughs) It sounded good when I was getting Dairy Queen. I have a fully refurbished Yamaha digital mixer there, 16-year-old. Not a part in it hasn't been replaced except a screen, I believe. And my associate at SIU now, Gary Griffith, rebuilt it for me meticulously. (laughs) Have you always been a technical guy, too? Like, just always been good with your hands? Has that just been a natural, like, it's there? Yes, often I was too good with my hands. But that's a different thing. <laughs> I think that did you musicians that are facile, uh-huh. tactile on guitar, musicians play a piano. Yeah, musicians <laughs> make the best sound technicians. Not every sound technician is a musician. Yeah, that's fair. But the ones that understand musicians because they are musicians, yeah, tend to be more simpatico. That is my theory, and I'm sticking to it. Cool. This guy, Brian, messaged me once with a very odd question publicly, Facebook. said, is it true that most sound technicians are failed musicians? I was like, <laughs> oh, back up, Hoss. Back up, cowboy. I just didn't want to be in bands and driving across the country smelling dirty socks all the time. Yeah. And figured out that I could stay home, play music now and then, have a family, and make real money. Yeah. running an audio company. And I succeeded beyond my... I created a monster, in fact. What is the so, biggest show you think you've ever done? Oh, I don't know. You know, I like to cite Jason Isbell because he's come so far. Yeah. I've done many of those, but I worked Heronfest for 16 years, so take your pick. Yeah. You know. Now, often those were after they had grown into a large rental PA with a, a flown line array and major staging, but I was still... the kind of they called me tech director but they just kept me around to keep things smooth yeah (laughs) you know because i know the lingo baby (laughs) you can carry a tune yeah one time i was uh setting up danny serafini's drums for mike miking his drum kit danny serafini is chicago's original drummer the band and uh we were goofing around it was a nice afternoon hot he had a percussionist to his left was playing his bongos and getting set up I look up from the set as I'm micing under a cymbal or something, and I go, so you're the guy responsible for me but having to play Color My World at a million proms. <laughs> and he laughed, and the freaking percussionist lost it. He was laughing so hard. He couldn't believe I said that. Of course, Danny Serafini wasn't in Chicago then. And I asked him if he knew a friend of mine from California that had joined Chicago, Bill Champlin. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I used to. And I was like, Uh-oh. I'm done talking about Chicago with the, their old drummer. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, he owned a club in Chicago that was open for years back in the 60s and 70s. I don't know when it closed. And what was it called? Beginnings. Maybe Schaumburg? Looking for new beginnings. The name of the Chicago song, Beginnings, I'm sure. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm but sorry. I'm, Danny I'm not, Serafini. I'm no, I'm no catalog music knowledge. I apologize. Dude, I'm a walking Robbie. jukebox and a walking tome of rock and roll musical lore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and my let's memory's take, still let's good. Let's take a couple steps ahead. I don't know where my keys are right now, but 
But I can remember all that stuff. <laughs> no, I'm I just promise kidding. we put them back on that pedestal somewhere, some way. I'm kidding. The uh, I do know where my keys are. <laughs> it's right there. You just no. gave me one of them. I, I did. Uh, I did make sure to lock it. Thank so you, sir. It'll still be there when you go back out. Yep. <laughs> um. So what? I mean, what? What? In terms of rock and roll lore, legacy, legendary, whatever. What? I mean, what have you been near? What have you been close to? Well, Gary Caputo just wrote one of his columns, which was about me. You may have seen that. Two weeks ago, mm-hmm. did you see the picture in my blue Rob Co audio shirt? I believe so, yes. Gary took that with a very good digital camera. I got the nicest message from Dr. Christian Moe mm-hmm. about that article and called Chris to thank him for leaving the nice message. Um, he is friends with the flutist Carl Lutz. Mm-hmm. Carl is mid-90s. He's a force of nature. And um, I did a project with him during the pandemic. It was one of the very few jobs I did during the pandemic was helping Dr. Uh, Carl Lutz with uh, some early flute recordings. Shaddy Frick and I did that. Mm-hmm. Shaddy had his low-key studios where I'm making a record right now. Episode 10 of the WTF Carbondale podcast. That's, <laughs> I always got the callbacks in there. Whenever the paths cross, I got to call it out. <laughs> right on. Um, yeah, Dr. Moe, you know who I mean. Chris used to do the stage company plays. And I, I used I, to help him make the soundtracks. Uh-huh for the, his plays, which were held downstairs. Yep. That was, that's probably eight or 10 years ago. Um, Gary Gabula is of the impression, and I can't disagree because of the sheer cultural and historical and legacy and ongoing live music now impact that the Grateful Dead people have had. Uh-huh. You know, and I did fall into the, that thing um, it, it's quite a story. I would say go to the Southern article from two weeks ago if you want to know a little bit about it. And I've written about it in one of my columns. Is that the fourth time I've said something about that? It's okay. We'll, we'll keep marking yeah. them up. That, one's co- that, was, that column perfect. is called Running with the Grateful Dead, Nathan, and can be archived. So you spent time? A year and a half in the studio with Mickey Hart, Phil Lesh, and other members of the Grateful Dead. So. Did you do it on purpose, or did you just kind of? Our road it? manager, our road manager Ron Litz, became road manager for Dave Mason of Traffic, Steve Winwood's band. Dave Mason was on a solo career. He also was road manager for a famous San Francisco band called Dan Hicks and His Hot Licks. Dan Hicks is no longer with us, and Ron knew everybody, including Bill Graham, who I knew. And Chet Helms from the Avalon Ballroom, who I knew. All gone. Bill Graham in a helicopter accident. After a Huey Lewis show in Concord, California. Concord Pavilion. Bad weather that night. They hit a power line. Um, and um, Ron said, hey, Mickey Hart's making a solo record for Warner Brothers during his hiatus from The Grateful Dead which is a whole story in itself. <laughs> and uh, look it up. All you got to do is turn on Netflix right now and watch all seven episodes of The Long Strange Trip. What a long strange trip. Or just Long Strange Trip, whatever the title is. But Netflix, it's all there. Netflix currently has a Grateful Dead series. It's fabulous. And uh, 
I took my old black Volvo 544 and drove up to Northern Marin County, Novato. Got out at Mickey's Ranch. He walks out of the studio. I get out with a guitar case. I'm walking up to him. I say, hey, it's that crazy drummer. He says, hey, it's that crazy guitar player. And a year and a half later, we were done with the record. <laughs> took a while. What a, what, is, what a credits look like on something like that? Um, I'm credited five times on guitar and bass. I also played on their lyricist Robert Hunter's solo record, one of them called Tales of the Great Rum Runners. I played on a track on the, on that. <clears throat> excuse me. You're excused. Man. Did you, uh, is it is it true, and this is just a, uh, a high rumor, a tale of sorts, right? It may be true, maybe not. I'm about to find out. Is, that is, I played with Norman Greenbaum. I, I don't. I don't. Okay, I don't. never mind. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, but I want to hear that too. I mean, it's we're gonna find all that stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't imagine that you actually played with my, Jimmy. My Hitler. lady's laughing because I interrupted you just now. Good. Keep interrupting. Yes, I have to learn not to interrupt it's her not when my she's podcast. Speaking. It's your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Is it true what, my friend? That that one of the licks that you wrote for some band at some point in time became the opening line to Salt and Pepper's. No, push I didn't write the lick. Okay. But that was my band, a later incarnation of my band, Cold Kitchen, mm -hmm. who put out a record on Epic 10 years after I left for California once again, <laughs> 70, 1970. I started that band with Carl Payton and Andre Mosotti. And they were still in the band um, 10 years later when the Epic deal came around. And they put out an album called Thirsty or Not, Choose Your Flavor. And there was a train song on there that had, ah, push it. Ah, push it. And Salt and Pepper sampled that sucker. <laughs> I love that that story is so close to true. Well, it is true. I didn't say I write it. Yeah, no, no. I mean, just like, like you know, again, just, just you hear the tall tales, right? Just being around stuff. My bandmates wrote it. Heard this from you, right? It's just, I don't even remember. I don't where. remember ever working on that song as early as 1970. I was only actually in Cold Kitchen a very short while. I got it off the ground. But all through the 70s and into the 80s, I sat in with them when they played Carbondale. I How made many? a point of it. How many bands do you think you've gotten up off the ground in all the years? Dozens. They figure two dozen. That seems low. <laughs> <laughs> Just give it a nice round 30. We'll say. But did you actually like launch projects that seem to have some staying power? Well, Four on the Floor lasted an ungodly long time. And the Venturi's have already been seven years. St. Stephen's Blues lasted 16 years or more. Most bands you played in simultaneously at the same time. Well, right now I'm in four, if you read my <laughs> Facebook post today. You just wrote about that today. Yeah, I'm not. Or today. But I'm not in the Ivis John band. You no, know, I'm a ringer. I'm a stringer for Ivis when he needs help. Yeah. And, uh, of course, we hadn't played together since April 2020 when we did a virtual gig from Big Muddy. Yeah. But I did play Hanger with him very recently. Thank you very much, Ivis. He uh he was one of my one of my early guinea pigs for figuring out if people like listening to two people talk to one another about something. <laughs> well don't people mostly archive these 
podcast and listen later. Yeah, there, it's it's a mix of so we'll I'll do I'll set these for premiere on Facebook and YouTube because it lets me schedule it as if it's coming out live, right? Yeah. So it'll it'll show hey this is coming on board now and you got and you can watch it in time at this moment. I um, hardly ever watch the Saturday ones real time. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's it some of these some of it. I don't have a really good strategy for release right now. Like I haven't bothered to poke around and figure out what times a day do I need to be releasing so people get maximum, you know, opportunity to view right off the bat. But then I'll take them and I'm finally in the mix of ripping them off YouTube once I've got them uploaded and they ran through their premiere. And then from there, take that audio and run that out as the audio only track for the for the podcast. Then distributes to Google and Apple and Spotify and I'll I'll pick up a handful of listens there. So I'm I'm it's, I I'm happy with the spread right now. And really it's about banking this content for kind of the yeah. first 100 That's or cool. so. Well, it's a good thing, you know. I was like, "Oh man, I'm tired." But uh, let's do it. <laughs> Everybody at Hangers like, "Get your butt over there and do that and come back." Good. So, all good. <laughs> Thank you everybody Can- at Hanger that pushed him out tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, obviously I'm not mixing the show, so but it's going very well. Uh, we have a good crowd, and, and next Thursday is the Venturis, our band. Are you guys? Are you guys the last in the? No, Ivis is Ivis John the last. Who's no, the, Ivis was first. Ivis was first. Okay. And then uh, what was Hugh? Yeah, okay, yeah. Then Jenny. Then Venturis. Good. Probably. Give or take. I mean, I could, I could, I could sound them off in order. Yeah, do that. The satellites, the counts, the Viscounts, Devil's Kitchen, Coal Kitchen. Five. I'm now. I'm, I'm just gonna count every five. Sorry. Um, honorary member of so many bands that I don't know if they count or not, but Big Twist and the Mellow Fellows, Skid City Blues Band, Ricochet, don't want to forget them, <laughs> Rolls Hardly, uh, let's see, moving into the 80s, Vision, big group, we did really well. Four on the floor. That actually, we had a lot of local hits. Thanks to Tony Wakus and old school WCIL FM radio. What, what was it getting airplay back in the day? I mean, was it just regular old? By golly, you like- went and played a gig at Merlin's, and your buddy made a four-track, quarter-inch tape recording, and you made a cassette of it, and you took it to the radio station, both versions, and said, "Would you play one of these?" And if they liked it, they could play it. And then the record companies would be calling them up going, who's this four on the floor on your top ten? <laughs> I'm not kidding. So because they, so do they have to like report their rankings of requests and stuff like that? Every week they put out a survey paper. And our recordings, at least three times, we covered Rave On by Buddy Holly. We covered Marie Marie by The Blasters. That was with Gary Gabula. And we covered, um, I saw her standing there by the Beatles. And our version shot through the roof in <laughs> Southern Illinois Radio at CIL. Nice. It did really well. You couldn't buy it. It was, <laughs> you, we just didn't hear make, it. you couldn't make a, a copies of a record by the Beatles and sell them. No, no. Even we knew that much. <laughs> I'm surprised we never got busted. For just recording a live version of it and the radio playing it, mm-hmm. but that was then and this is now. So, 
<laughs> we got a lot of mileage and a lot of gigs out of that. Yeah. So four on the floor, and that kind of led into St. Stephen's Blues, and then the Venturis. Really, I guess not that many because a lot of them were long live. That's not 30. No. Not even close. That's that's just pushing around 15. I never really thought about it too much, but somebody said two dozen. I mean, it's very likely with all the people that you've sat in and played with over the years, it's easy to look at and go, what all is Robbie plugged into? Yeah, because I'm forgetting that I was in the Buster Boy Band in Carbonell with Richard Simpson, the late former owner of Hangar 9. I forgot BBB, Buster Boy Band. And then in California, I was in Warmwood Star. So there were more. I'm just not cogitating all of them right at the minute. That's okay. Because many of them didn't last that long. (laughs) But many of them lasted a very long time. Yeah. I mean, what's it take to keep a band together? Um, Sacrificing your marriage because your band is your marriage. (laughs) (laughs) That's about as real as it gets, my friend. Yeah, maybe not literally, but it's it's much like a marriage. Yeah. Uh, You have to worry about everyone's schedules, everyone's families, everyone's health. You're a team. You're truly a team. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if somebody's having a bad day and... Our drummer just broke his foot in a bizarre gardening accident. Did that happen? Has I mean, is that is that a is that a real <laughs> example? It's a spinal tap thing, Nate. I don't, man. I'm sorry. I don't understand any of these, Robbie. I'm worthless, man. I'm a I'm a I'm a. Hack. No, you're 31, and you don't know all that movie <laughs> junk like I do. That's all. Uh, Enjoy it. Youth must be served, Mike. Um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to Jimmy tripped in his yard, man. But I like to refer to it as a bizarre gardening accident because <laughs> there is a spinal tap joke there. A good one. <laughs> Even if I don't know it, <laughs> shame on me. It's okay. <laughs> I'll loan you my seat, my DVD, my Blu-ray of a uh, spinal tap. I do. I do have multiple things that will play a disc. That <laughs> It's handy. It's not, it's not all just streaming and. And Netflix, there's still physical things. I like to play a VHS tape now and then. Watch it <laughs> warble and wobble. <laughs> Just I know got, that I'm still alive. Dude, I, I, yeah, I got a ton of old movies, old uh, universal horror films and on VHS. I'm not getting rid of that. The artwork alone on the jackets is amazing. What are some of the more prized possessions that you got? I mean, you're, you're somebody who, who has archived life, right? And not just like your life but it's a generational thing right dad being a photographer i'm sure that's a generational archival act well in fact my son bought me a copy of a life magazine <laughs> that my father had a photo in a wow. big photo the full last page uh-huh they used to have a section in life magazine called miscellany miscellany in back and at an siu football game a black and white photo at the old McAndrew Stadium when I was just a little boy, I was probably at the game, a little dog was discomfited with the high-pitched sounds of a kneeling SIU marching band trumpeter. <laughs> and my dad caught that dog jumping up from the turf or the grass and hanging on the bell of that guy's trumpet while he's kneeling in his routine mm-hmm. with the Salukis, marching Salukis, trying to play 
my dad caught that shot with that dog hanging there and got 50 bucks and his pick was used in miscellany in life magazine and i have the original life magazine because collectors sell that and robbie got me a copy so i have things like that yes <laughs> i was the estate manager and you know we've all got things of our parents but i don't know um recently a friend sent me a Grateful Dead, the Grateful Dead record with Mickey Hart that I played on. Uh -huh. He saw an extra copy in good condition at a record store in San Diego and was good enough to mail it to me. <laughs> and my son, he had it all, all the parts, you know, all the credits and covers and back and everything framed so I could hang them in my office. This is cool to have, you know, the, the transition from physical media to digital media it's left it's left something to be desired well in the mix the, the pat response to that would be that many technicians think that original recording techniques were warmer and more human sounding you could saturate tape with distortion and it sounded natural john bonham's drums you know however the facility of digital recording the unlimited number of tracks, it's almost too much. Yeah. Um, I know that some of my work recently on two Tim Crosby records, we cobbled together some of my solos from 30 different tracks. And you can do that almost seamlessly. So it does take a little bit of the stress out of recording, overdubbing lead guitar parts, for instance, yeah. when you're tired. You know, because you get through a whole take and it's killer and you boff one little spot. Oh, let's start all over. You know, man, that gets old quick. Mm -hmm. No, let's punch in. Now, it used to be a punch in, you know, was a, a different thing than it is now digitally. But the, the theory is somewhat the same in, in terms of uh, what you're trying to accomplish, which is to fix a part that otherwise don't need fixing. One little spot. <laughs> uh -huh. Just a one, blip. One little blemish. That little passage. And if you do that, you save people time and money. Simple as that. And so, but you don't want to let that make you lazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I had the good fortune, uh, in addition to the two Tim Crosby records at Misunder Studio, Mike Lascelles' business over in Murfreesboro, uh, that that I finished up with recently. He's a great singer-songwriter. Um, I played just prior to that on Jason Ringenberg's record, Stand Tall. I'm very proud of that as well. And that was thanks to Gary Gabula, in fact. So, It's just cool having all these just connections to Carbondale. Of, I don't know. And there's, well, there's it's an amazing place still to this day. Yeah. Um, to say that it was once a roiling cauldron of people and rock and roll and, and academic and intellectual striving, absolutely it was. It still is. still is. It's much quieter. Doesn't have to be that way forever. No. We'll see what happens. You need a break every now and then. We're just taking a break. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> I think that uh, it's going to come back. It never went away for me, though. I've been employed as chief audio technician at Hangar 9 
all through everything. <laughs> Has there always been enough work for, for everybody that's been in the business around? Well, I, I, there used to be so much we couldn't do it all. I had to be reminded that not me personally, but my company once did sound for Nirvana yeah. at a punk bar in downtown Carbondale. Okay. On a, on a, hold on, hold on. Is this... Are you about to tell the fabled Nirvana story that nobody has confirmation on right now? Are you about to fucking see the only confirmation, Stokes? Dude, the only confirmation I have is my technician, Mike Sharp, says, you don't remember that? I'm like, no. Who the hell were they? They had a white van with Seattle plates and a lot of stinky socks in it. And I was like, so that's all I know. It's, it's Even to me, it's almost still a fable. But... <laughs> I think it happened. <laughs> what do you want to hear, Robbie, man? Robbie, that is not the type of confirmation I was ready for or needed. Okay, dude, I picked up Dave Mason at the train station when he played Gatsby's. Okay. I was the entertainment booker, like my young friend and crewman Blake Bledsoe does now at Hangar 9. I was the entertainment booker and sound technician at Gatsby's for nine full years after it expanded from 84 to 93. Were any of those years years that Kathy owned it? Who? Kathy. Kathy. No. Uh, Parrish? No. No, maybe. I, I don't know. She's she's one of Steve's friends. She she's Steve she's, Mitchell? Out of no, sorry, Steve Payne at Quattro's. The oh. the that she she's out of Murfreesboro, but she had Tom's place at I don't some know. point. She had Jim Winfrey owned it, the Bud Slicks owned it. No, I'm sorry, did you say Gatsby's or Muggsy's? I said Gatsby. Ah, that's my fault. Muggsy's was I heard I heard Muggsy's was the last Gatsby's. Muggsy's was the late Matt Mayer. Okay. I worked there, too. Although that sound gig was primarily Dan Schrantz's, who was at Pinchpenny for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I was his backup. I'm everybody's backup. <laughs> I just did a gig for Chris Parton of sound with my longest-running technician, Mike Wakefield, at the helm, and Vinny from Hangar. We covered uh, Stacks and Racks for Hairbangers Ball outdoors in Marion at 618 Taproom. That was just... Uh, Two weeks ago tomorrow. Does that, that turn out to be a pretty big show? So I heard, and I wasn't there. No. I, was at, <laughs> I was at Bruce Brothers Block Party playing with the Venturis and giving this keynote speech at the American Cancer Society 2021 Relay for Life during the same event. It Good was man. a busy day. Good man. I lost four pounds, and I can't gain it back. <laughs> Actually, I'm clawing back slowly. <laughs> I've lost 20 pounds, if anybody's concerned. Don't oh, be. Man. I'm fine. <laughs> it's okay. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. Listen, man, you've been pretty resilient. <laughs> so they say. <laughs> like some might say. <laughs> in the immortal words of Oasis, some might say. So you really, the best that you got on the Nirvana story is, well, my sound guy says we did it. <laughs> God. Dude, okay. I hung out on the street with the Pretenders, with the Divinals, with R.E.M., with R.E.O. I got offered a job at Gatsby's with R.E.O. Gary Talent from the E Street Band wandered into Gatsby's one night and befriended me. It's endless. It's just the place Carbondale is. It was because the arena did shows. So did Shryock. It was massive. There were 24,000 plus students here. So who would do the shows? Who would do the big shows at the? I mean, was that ever like local activity that that was sold well, out? Well, SIU the, sold the tickets. 
Well, I mean, sorry, like, but like for for sound. I mean, did you ever? Did oh you ever no, do no, 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 okay. no, no. They they the touring companies who were on those tours. Uh huh. It was Carbonell was simply part of the itinerary. Oh, so they they just came through with their own equipment. Absolutely, Shoco, Claire okay. Brothers, etc. Solotech, the big boys, Gary Gabula once again, my my crewman and bandmate and writer for the Southern, works for the Chicago office of Claire Brothers Audio, the biggest sound company in the known universe for two years. Are they still the biggest sound company in the known universe? They certainly are. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, I probably could have gone that route if I wanted, but, dude, I've frankly been pretty comfortable here. Yeah. And my parents were here. They were long-lived, 89 and 87. They needed my help. You know, my brother still lived here. My sisters moved to Springfield and Chesterfield, Missouri. How many siblings you got total? Springfield, Illinois, and Chester. Yeah, is it is it you and three others? So four, four of the Stokes siblings. Two boys, two girls, and me. <laughs> Paul and Keith and me. Uh huh. Susan and Teresa. You're the middle child. Five. I'm number one. You're number one. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're like you betcha. <laughs> no. I was spoiled early. How, um, uh, I mean, what, what, do you feel like you got followed as, as the older brother? Do you feel like you were the example? Set? Well, my brothers looked up to me. Um, you know, my, my brother Keith served in the United States army in Germany. He mostly seemed to go hang out at ski resorts on vacations, but <laughs> Garmisch Partenkirchen. <laughs> places like that you know I think he worked in the mail room and he, of course he worked for the United States Post Office here and retired and my brother Paul as you well know owns the cellar absolutely had drinks and there earlier this evening he worked for Vanagoni Distributing for 20 some odd years I believe um, Danny Camp's business and then um, he and his lovely wife Michelle my sister-in-law bought the cellar some years ago from Jack Pierce nice they've done a a real good job turning that block into something. We hope to play difficult. outside there sometime when the smoke clears from the pandemic. Uh, it's a trip getting back to work. Yeah, I'm I'm sure. Like, especially a mix of health concerns with health concerns that are the pandemic concerns. Yeah. I just talked to Jenny and the Howdy Boys right as they went on. Uh-huh. And they are chuffed. To use English slang, which I do a lot, <laughs> to be playing live again. Yeah. And my brother, my brother Chad Schaefer on the drums is there banging it out. Man. Yep. Lava. He and I are no stranger to uh, Siteman Cam 7. Is that the one of your Center primary? for Advanced Medicine, St. Louis. <sighs> Chad's young for this stuff to be coming in, too. Yep. Barnes. And of course, our band till the morning comes. Uh, we just lost our brother, Doctor Darwin Shane Coke of SIU. And, How'd uh, you and Shane meet? Well, he was in Moving Mary, and I think we had met once before that. One day, I bought a Fender Twin. My son and I went in together on a Fender Twin from Bill Carter. Mm -hmm. And man, that thing sounded so clean and so much like Jerry Garcia. I was like, wow. <laughs> I'm like. I got to take this amp out and sit in with somebody. And I happen to know that Moving Mary was playing at Russell Hill, one of my favorite venues of all time. 
I'm very chuffed to think that we might get to play there again someday. And uh, I'm glad that my friend J.P. Russell has sold the place, and I hope it gets rolling again. I'm available to help. Um, <laughs> if you're out there. <laughs> I drove out there with that amp and my GNL Comanche guitar and sat in with them on some Grateful Dead songs, and Shane was like, we were like, we should just start a band. And that's how I met Roger Fleek, the keyboardist who's also now in the Venturis. <laughs> we're having to retool till the morning comes. There's a lot of changes afoot with that. Yeah. Nonetheless, we are playing July 10th at the Hangar. <laughs> Good. So, I would imagine that was just bittersweet. It was. Few days to. We had a beautiful frame shot of Shane playing with the band on stage, and right before we started at the last gig, which about a month ago, I held it up. Everybody cheered, long standing ovation. It's a dang shame. I just took him down at 55. So I hope his family's doing well. I wrote about him on Facebook today. It's young. It's young. What else you got? I'm going to try and find some happy stuff. Sure. <laughs> the, the thing with it, so I, I mean, you, I've been pretty clear about this for years now that we've kind of gotten to rub elbows. Or I, mean, I, I don't know a lick about music. And I, so I don't get like the thing with guitars and how guitars at different years and different materials and this, that, the other, like you'll, you'll never recreate a 67, this or an 84, that, or a yeah. steel body or a wood body or this, well, that, the other, I, you know, I'm, the value of some of these instruments, the older vintage models that are rare is unbelievable. I've traded instruments years past to Bill Carter, local guys that have um, appreciated to a point where you could have, if I had kept it, I could retire on the money. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. And, uh, hey, more power to it, man. You know, <laughs> I'm still out there working. They're tools to me on some level. Yeah. And yet, I appreciate what you're saying, you know. I mean, but that's, at the end of the day, what you got to look at it as because it's not – the business isn't in the transaction of. The I just have to have an instrument that's set up perfectly. Yeah. And I either get Terry Mueller, Bill Carter's old partner from Golden Frets, mm -hmm. or Dan Tejada at Mike's Music. Uh, I used to use Nate Silkwood um, to do the luthier work. Yeah. Yeah. I do some of it myself because you get pretty good at that. I set up Pate's guitars. But if it gets to a certain point, if I sight down the neck and go, Boom, Mike's music. Yeah. <laughs> not my chair, not my problem. Hand, hand it off, let it go. I also hated losing Mike Mills and Barrett Rockman and Joe C. all within a few weeks. Oh, you said you wanted happiness. No, this is happy, though, man, because these are good people, right? Like, there is. They will all be missed heavily by this area and are and left good legacies. Very good. I mean, I just. Talking to, I, I probably chatted Joe up five or seven times about, hey man, I'm trying to do this podcast thing. I'd love to get you on at some point. I just never, I just never closed all the way on it to yeah. to get him in here and to talk to him. It was a, it was a heartbreaker. <sighs> same deal, same deal with Mayor Dillard. Just he, Joe handled his illness a bit differently than I did. He was very quiet about it. Yeah. 
I don't think it's unreasonable to. to have I miss Neil Dillard too. Do what, Miss Mayor Dillard? Did you not just say yeah, Neil I did, Dillard? I did. I did. Yes, I miss Neil Dillard very much as well. Yeah, I enjoyed that man's company very much. He sat and watched the fireworks at SIU Arena with my family uh, when Paula and I were still married, and Robbie and Carly were small. <laughs> uh, we sat out in blanket, and he asked if he could join us one night. He was there without his wife at that time. And uh, we had the nicest time watching the fireworks. It was magical. Good man. And Tracy's, what was he, 92? Uh, ni- yeah, ni- in, the, in, that, in that ballpark, 92, 94, I'd, I'd have to... So 90, 90th birthday. Yeah, no, I think 92 is about right. Yeah. 92 is about right. But anyway... Um, Tracy's really into... Music too. Have you have you crossed many paths with with Tracy? Not so much, but okay. I know who you mean. I know her. I just the uh, yeah. you know. How, I kind of know everybody, Nathan. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, you know, eighty five percent of the people in the physical Southern Illinois region. But there's fifteen. There's fifteen percent chunk there. You don't quite catch all on. No, but the, the uh, I'm plenty anonymous when I want to be. <laughs> no, just that little co- that little Cobden pocket of folks that are really musically active plugged into stuff oh yeah it's a neat little neat little scene well i thrive on it and without it i wouldn't be worth a damn <laughs> honestly um it's just fuel the fire i kind of want to continue on and hang a nine but i think if sally made me an offer for my sound system i might consider taking it if it was good enough i'll make sure she watches the podcast well <laughs> A little wink and a nut. Actually, I brought that up because it's already in play. There you go. Once again, and as of the last few days. We'll see. Good. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're you're also allowed to take your breaks where you need to, too. Well, you know, I still enjoy working on campus. Yeah. And things are starting to happen again. So what, what, what role would you serve? Like, what role have you served in activity at SIU over the years? I'm a vendor. Okay. And, you know, I'm insured and bonded and all that stuff. And, you know, my business is registered. And when they need somebody to come in and spot sound on something, it could be Jesse McCartney at Shryock. <laughs> that sold out. Yeah, it sure did. You know, I did that show. And uh, I mixed that show. You know, the band leader was uh, uh, Dory Levin, I think his name is. I've got his number in L.A., from uh, uh, the Voice band, the TV show The Voice. Yeah, yeah. Don't Dory they have a house band. Yeah, Dory was Dory Previn or Levin was in that band. It's just crazy to have had just the the number and the kinds of people that have just been through this place. Well, exactly. Over the years, and and I spied a lot of it myself. Yeah, you know, Stanley Clark played at Shryock. I got asked to jam that night, but uh, unfortunately, I was uh, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't catch up that night. No, I got there, but uh, <laughs> a certain local academic didn't want any guitar players raining on the parade. But we've long since buried the hatchet over that <laughs> night. No need to, no need to <laughs> dig dig that old feud up now. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, I'm their sound guy. I can't say nothing. <laughs> um. What am I missing, Robbie? Is there? I mean, what, what, what thing? What, I mean, you never, you never actually played with Jimi Hendrix, right? That's not. No, but I met Jimi Hendrix oh, and shook hands with Hendrix. him. 
How'd you meet And Joe? we did jam with his drummer, Mitch Mitchell. Okay. All right. I, I love that these stories are just close. They're so close. I mean, they're also right um, on right Here, Here's on the best too. close one. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why I jumped on you earlier and said, oh, not Norman Greenbaum's story. Yeah. Yeah. People for years thought that I played on the record Spirit in the Sky, which has been feeding Norman Greenbaum well for 40 freaking years <laughs> because it's in everything. Forrest Gump. I cannot drive down the street with my girl and not hear on her classic rock Pandora, Spirit in the Sky, yeah. over and over. The truth is, I played on the follow-up record, not Spirit in the Sky, but because of a slightly errant comment by my brother Paul on <laughs> WTAO Radio on a ticket giveaway one day <laughs> with a DJ named Live Earl Jive, it got started, and I never... It, it snowballed to the point where I got sick of it and I just let it ride. So let let me let let's just like do a quick wrap up here, in all the legendary parts of the of the lore of Robbie Stokes. Maybe not sure if we mixed Nirvana in a basement in Carbondale. Why are you fixated on such I a love tiny this detail? Stuff, this is this is legendary stuff, man. <laughs> well, you know what I'm gonna do? What I'm gonna call. The guy was on my staff then who has been the chief sound technician at Fitzgerald's in Berwyn in Chicago for 27 years. And, and verify the story? And see what he knows. Very I'll do good. that for you and get back to you. I, and, te and tell him I, I'll figure out however which way to do it. Yeah. I want to get him on tape on just that one particular story, and I'll hand it to Adam Fletcher so that he can put it to yeah. rest in his archives. I know he wants, he wants more info, and I wish that more people were alive to tell it. Yeah. Um, as as per the Norman Greenbaum comment, no, I did not play on Spirit in the Sky. But you did the follow-up. I didn't start the rumor. Okay. You know when I finally decided to squelch it? <laughs> I was in a certain condition one night with Peter Buck of uh -huh. REM. Uh-huh. Uh, walking the mean streets of Carbondale. <laughs> we were actually at a sound guy's house, a fellow named Chuck Peterson. Uh, I believe Chuck worked in Chicago for a very long time and still does as a sound technician. And uh, we got to talking about that song and I, I told him I used to play with Norman Greenbaum, but I actually didn't play on that record, but a lot of people think I did mm -hmm. because of what happened with the ticket giveaway. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. It you know, my, my, dad, my grandpa got on WJPF or something once interviewed Emil Fritzi, my matriarchal grandfather was a musician he put out records i helped him uh we traveled together we went to nashville together i got in an elevator at the nashville motor inn with loretta and Doolittle lynn once as the only other passengers <laughs> <laughs> i remember that on the trip to nashville with grandpa but grandpa um got on the radio once in an interview about his music and said yeah my, my grandson's out in the San Francisco, he plays with uh, all that Creedence Clearwater Revival and them Rolling Stones. Grandpa! Nine, nine! <laughs> the legend has always been just a little bit bigger than real life, but real life's been well, pretty big. He didn't understand that the Grateful Dead were as big as the Rolling Stones almost. Yeah. And I was working with them. He could have been more veracitous. But is that a word, Nathan? 
Gosh. Veracity. And I, I'll use some made up words every now and then. And here's the deal. We've been, we've been doing the Buckminster Fuller talk recently. So we've used huh. some, some newly spliced words. The or Dimexian some... car. <laughs> yeah. Well, you anyway, did, so you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. I played the on the follow up single. Huh? Hear me out. Hear me out. I'm hearing you out. So people don't have to go look for the archive Perfect. at the Southern for this story. <laughs> uh, I played on the follow-up record to Spirit in the Sky. Follow-up record. Warner Brothers single, produced by the Love and Spoofuls producer, Eric Jacobson, with the same guitarist on the track as the guy that played on Spirit in the Sky, primarily. And his name was Russell Dashiel, and he was in a well-known San Francisco psychedelic band from the 60s called Sopwith Camel, after the World War II biplane. Mm -hmm. And... They brought me in when I started playing live with Norman to put a Spirit in the Sky tour together to play on California Earthquake to follow up. And it, I got paid $600, six crisp $100 bills for an afternoon's work. That's good money in the 70s. I believe that. Eric Jacobson himself paid me. And, uh, but no royalties. Came, uh-huh. <laughs> but no royalties. Session I, I don't, men don't get royalties, guys. Nathan. You're, you're just you're just a guitar guy. You're in, you're out, you're paid, you're on. Yes, you get a one-time <laughs> fee, almost always. Some guys do get points yeah. if they're big enough and can hand-demand it, like in movies. But um, that record went up the charts, went up the Billboard charts. I'll never forget being in my flat in the Mission District in San Francisco, listening to FM radio San Francisco, hip radio. 72, I believe, maybe 73. And the Stones were on with brown sugar. And that f ended, and I heard the first licks of California Earthquake right on its heels. And I jumped up and down on the couch in my flat and said, I'm on the radio! <laughs> Unfortunately, that record went up the charts on Billboard and then sank like a stone. And it was a good record. Who knows why Spirit in the Skies endured in California Earthquake. Nobody knows. Just to get a copy, which I paid $12 for to get a mechanical license, I had to order a $22 CD from Germany <laughs> with 22 songs on it. Mm -hmm. Norman Greenbaum's Greatest Hits. That's how I got my copy of California Earthquake. Yeah. So that's how that came about. And you met Jimi Hendrix, but you didn't play with Jimi Hendrix, but you did play with Jimi Hendrix's drummer. Yeah. <laughs> I played with Mick Taylor of the Rolling Stones when he played with John Mayall and the Bluesbreakers. What else you got in the hopper, man? What am I, what am I missing? What other, what other? Hundreds and hundreds of stories like that. <laughs> you got another hour? <laughs> Not right now, but if you want to do another one and continue sometime, we can. We just might do that. We just might do another episode of the WTF Carbondale podcast with Very Robbie good, Stokes my friend. because there are. I feel, I feel like I've been bragging, but you've been leading me into all this stuff, and like, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been like pulling teeth to even get this far, and we've only scratched the surface. Well, you did we ask me some of the most infamous. What's my legacy? No, I don't need your legacy. I'm just trying to know. Probably that I played on a Grateful Dead solo record, two of them, by there Robert Hunter and Mickey Hart. That's a pretty big one. Well, hundreds of years from now, their music will still be heard. Yeah. You know, I don't know how many of my personal original songs that I put out on the internet are going to still be circulating. But it. you're part of the story. Yeah. A little bitty cog. I chose to stay in Carbondale for a 
what I consider very good and valid reasons. And, and I made this place have that kind of energy that it needs to have to at some point in time make more of the people that will eventually be at the levels. Oh, dude, you don't know. I mean, that's a whole other thing that we could talk about. Yeah. Right now, a guy that used to come to Hangar 9 and peer over my shoulder and ask me questions, what's this knob do? Anthony Kilhoffer, SIU grad, mm -hmm. is Kanye's engineer and Kid Cudi's engineer. He's hitting it. Real deal. I got dozens of stories like that. Scott Munson, the guy that sent me the record from San Diego. Yeah. Live Nation. House of Blues. Tons you know, of them. It's all come out of here. It's very real. It's they, a tangible thing. This place has spirit. And people who come here right. and through here and participate here don't just play around here and whatever and right. piss off. It's, they it's take just it like at them. SIU, Rob Coadio, pupil exceeds the master. <laughs> Grasshopper. You've done well. <laughs> It's it's a work in progress, man. I I still got a lot to say, and you know, God willing, I can Every make it another ten or twenty years and <laughs> stay active. We'll see. I've definitely been gobsmacked, but I'm doing okay. Take the time. Make All it right, friendly. buddy. Thank Keep you. All the stories. Good night, sir. WTF Carbondale Podcast, Episode Seventy One, Legendary Robbie Stokes. We covered just a handful of the lore that exists, but. We'll be back for more. Have a good one, folks. Whatever Thanks. that one may be.